0: Well, last week, we were in our second of our series about exposing the myth of perfect families. And we've said several times now that there is no such thing as a perfect family. And yet, while it's normal to be in a family that has issues, we don't want it to be normal for us just to simply accept dysfunction. That's incredibly important that you grasp a hold of that. We totally embrace the fact that we are not perfect people, that even those of us that are here this morning, and we've crossed that line of faith, and we're followers of Jesus, we are not perfect. We've been forgiven, but we're not perfect. But it's not okay. We say it all the time. It's okay to come into Northwest messed up. It's not okay to stay that way for an indefinite period of time. We believe that the word of God transforms and changes lives. And that's what, why we do what we do here at Northwest. And so we believe that God desires much more for us in our families than just simply survival. And that's what this series is all about. And last week, Jerry shared with us that while there are no perfect kids, that God has created each one of them in his image. He's created them each for a purpose. He has an a, a incredible plan for their life. And it's, it's up to us as parents, really, to make the most out of these 936 marbles representing those 18 years that they will spend one marble for each week in our homes before they turn the age of 18. We need to make the most of those opportunities. I remember vividly the birth of our first son, Jordan. Some of you heard me talk about this even recently. After seven ultrasounds, we were told that we were having a little girl. And so, by the way, you young couples go, well, how's that happen? I mean, I've seen the pictures. I mean, you know, it's pretty obvious, girl or boy. Well, let me just tell you, back in the day, I never thought I'd say that, but back in the day, these ultrasounds you guys have, I mean, they're incredible, right? I mean, the ultrasounds we got, I'm going, so that's a baby, huh? Right? You don't do that now. But after seven ultrasounds, we were told we were going to have a little girl. We had, Diana and I are planners, And so we had planned everything. We had decorated the nursery, the pink walls, the teddy bears. I had gotten a deal on a remnant of carpet that was a real high-end, plush, real pastel pink carpeting. And we had done the whole nursery. We were ready. We had diapers sitting there, girl diapers. I didn't know there was such a thing as girl diapers, boy diapers. I thought the diaper's a diaper. I know differently now, but I didn't know at the time. We were all set. We were ready. And then we went and had the baby and... In just a moment, I went, that's not a girl. Yeah, I know these things. And I remember looking down, and, and you know how every, all you dads have probably done this. You, you count the, the fingers, right? You want to make sure they got five on each hand, you know, not seven on this. And, you know, not just ten total, but you want to make sure they're evenly distributed. And then you look down at their feet, and you make sure that they got those little toes there, and that there's ten of them, five on each foot. And, and then you're, you're just good, and that's, and that's really awesome What a relief. And then I remember, I shared this with you not too long ago, I remember driving home after getting Diana settled in the hospital that night. I remember driving home thinking, oh my goodness, what has just happened? I'm a parent. I'm a father. And I suddenly understood the great responsibility that Diana and I had, not just for the 18 years that he would be in our home, but that really we had, and some of you who are older than me can attest to this, really for the rest of my life, right? I would be his father. And I had a responsibility as his dad and Diana had a responsibility as his mom. I really believe this, most of us, if not all of us, very few of us, don't wanna be great parents, right? You wanna be a great mom, you wanna be a great dad. And I doubt that there are many people who leave the hospital with that little baby thinking, I just wanna be average, right? I just want to be an average person. Just let me change the filters right. Let me make sure that they're fed right. Just let me make sure that I get the clothes, you know, somehow on them correctly and and just let them kind of survive up to age age 18. And I'm just going to do the best I can, but I don't really want to be a great mom or a great dad. I'm just okay with being average. Who says that, right? We all want to be great. We want to do the best for our kids. And yet I think one of the things that faces us in the 21st century, in this internet age, this information age that we live in, is what I want to call this morning Pinterest parenting. Pinterest parenting. Now some of you are on Pinterest. How many of you are on Pinterest? Okay. Some of you are lying. You are and you didn't raise your hand right then. Okay. I I know what Pinterest is. I've been on there a few times. I, I get the whole concept. I really thought it was a woman thing, by the way. And then I realized, how many of you guys have Pinterest accounts? <laughs> okay. Bill King. He's the only one. That's great, Bill. It says something about you. It's the whole stereotypical musician thing. You just kind of, yeah. So I found out that, yeah, there's some guys on our staff that have Pinterest accounts, and they're normal guys. Most of them are normal guys. And so I thought, well, it must be okay for a man to have a Pinterest account. But here's, here's what I do know about Pinterest. I know Pinterest is the place where you go and you find out what's hot, what's cutting edge, what everybody else is doing and what you should be doing too if you really want to have the latest and the greatest. I have found that people go there and they find out, you know, I I see on Facebook sometimes people, you pin stuff, right? people pin like this dessert. Now I'm all in that. I've seen some desserts pinned on Facebook and I don't, I go, I don't know what the Pinterest thing is, but whatever it is, it's a good thing. God loves it. God will bless that thing. And I, I forward these things to my wife. I don't have a Pinterest account, but I forward these things to my wife, you know, this great dessert. Here's this, this awesome dinner. Here's the best birthday party theme idea for your kid, right? Whether they're, this is their fifth birthday or their 16th birthday, or if you're decorating their room, right? Here's how their room ought to be decorated. It ought to look a certain way. All that's on there. And if that's not enough, we we also, we have Facebook and you get to see what everyone else is doing for or with their kids. Are you with me? Anybody connecting with me this morning? And you go on there and it can be depressing. Is, Is anybody with me? All right. Okay, great. Some of you admit that, all right? The rest of you, you're lying because you know you go on there and you go, why can't we go on vacation there, right? Why doesn't my husband love me enough to get me those roses? All right, you do this, I know it, and I'm exposing your heart right now. We all do that. Think about how we do this as parents, though. We're on Facebook and we realize that so-and-so just went on a cruise with their 16-year-old daughter and 10 of her friends around the world. And we go, Wow, I could never do that. I'm a loser parent. I mean, they just went on a cruise with 10 of their daughter's friends around the globe. Wow, that's awesome. And then you realize that your friend, because he just put a, you know, he kind of, uploaded a picture immediately from his mobile device. You know, he just got a, a brand new Chevy Camaro for his 16, year oh, no, no, uh-oh. his son's not quite 16. He'll be 16 in a month, but they went ahead and got it because the dealer had the perfect color and they got the Chevy Camaro and you go, man, I can't even afford a, a jalopy for my kid. And, and, then, and then your friend posts pictures with her daughter. I see this all the time and, and the caption reads something like this, just chilling with my bestie right? You've seen it. You've seen it. All right. I could call some of you out because I know who you are. All right. About that transparency thing a little while ago, we know these things. All right. And you're going, as a mom, you're going, does my daughter think we're besties? (laughs) Or if you're a dad and you're on Facebook, you're going, "Eh, are my son and I, are we like best friends or are we? And you're going, I'm a loser dad. I'm a loser parent. Okay, if we're honest, and again, that's what we're about. We're about transparency, right? In this information, in this social media age, that's what we do. And we begin to get the idea, that's, what, that's who parents are. That's what parents do, and that's what I should do too if I'm going to be successful as a parent. Now, if we were honest, many parents would have to admit that we view successful parenting something like this. I wrote these characteristics down. If I can provide for them all the things that others provide for their kids... Nice clothes, of course, an iPhone. And by the way, not a 5 or 5S. Five that's so yesterday, right? We need the 6 or the 6 plus, right? If I can, if I can get them that and a, and a car when they're 16 and enough cash to go and do all the things that they want to do with their friends and at the end of the day, get this, and at the end of the day, they're happy, right? Then I've been successful. If I take them to Little League and, and to dance and to cello lessons, and they learn, you know, five kinds of martial arts, and I do all of these things, if I make sure that they're healthy, and I take them for their yearly checkups, and I take them to the dentist, and not only that, but we go to the orthodontist, and I spend thousands of dollars on metal in their mouth so that they have a beautiful smile, And if I do everything I can to help them get good grades in school so that they do well on the SAT and they get into a good college so that they can get a good job, and if they don't have sex before marriage and they don't drink and they don't do drugs, and if I pay for all the college bills so that they're not stuck with that lingering debt, and if I pay for all their wedding expenses, then maybe I can say I've been successful as a parent. Now I asked several of our staff guys, I said to them, hey, what do you think our world views successful parenting as? That's pretty much what it is. That's what we think successful parenting is. And if all that happens, then we believe we've been successful as a parent and we're satisfied. And unfortunately, many of us as parents have bought into an unrealistic, unattainable, frustrating. And those of you that are Christ followers this morning, understand this. We've bought into an unbiblical definition of parenting. I firmly believe that that's true. Most of us will never be successful as parents if that's the measure of success. I, I mean, I, you know, we, we, we got Justin a truck to use for his little lawn business about a year ago. It's a 95, it's got 275 million miles on it, I think. <laughs> and he got ready to go to college up in Cedarville, 500 miles away, and he just assumed he's taking it with him. And I'm going, dude, like, I don't know if that car will make it to Greensboro, right? You're not taking it up to Cedarville and back. And he's like, oh, come on, why? It's been running fine. I think it'll do fine. And I found because of my unhealthy definition of parenthood, because of what I've seen on Facebook, just for a moment, would never let him know it. Hope he doesn't listen to the podcast. I felt like, man, I failed him. I should buy him a, I should buy him a new car. In fact, for a very fleeting moment, and it was fleeting, very fleeting. I thought, you know what, maybe we should just get him a new car before he goes to college. Just very fleeting. I didn't do it. Just just very fleeting. I thought that. Really, when you think about it, though, do you really want to be successful as a parent if that's the definition? Is that all that you really signed up for when you decided that you wanted to bring little lives into your family, you and your spouse? I want us to look at just a couple of passages, and there are a lot of passages in Scripture, by the way, that talk about parenting and and what God feels about parents and how we ought to interact with our kids and how they ought to interact with us and what their responsibility is and what our responsibility is to them. But I want to hopefully, in the next just few minutes that we have together, and I will not do justice to the topic this morning, right? This is a seminar. It's like a six-hour seminar. If I was a youth pastor, we'd do it as a long seminar, all right? But I want to just whet your appetite a little bit to say, hey, don't buy into the culture's idea of what successful parenting is. Because if you do that, you're not going to attain it. You're going to be frustrated and unsatisfied. Buy into God's definition. Here's the really cool thing. I don't care what your socioeconomic status is. If you decide that you buy into what God says is success as a parent, every single one of us here today can do it. All right? All right, let's dive in. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. This is probably the classic text that we always go to. When we talk about kids and about parents, children, obey your parents and the Lord, verse one, for this is right, honor your father and mother. That's the first commandment with a promise. Verse three, that it may go well with you. And as a result, kids, get this, if you obey and honor your parents, you're gonna live long. If you don't, you're gonna die, all right? Hey, that's what it says, and I'm telling you, Well, I'm not going to take Jerry's topic from last week, but there's there's a lot left unsaid, all right? Just do right. Obey your parents, honor them, and God says you're going to have a a long life, all right? Verse four, fathers, the inference, by the way, with this Greek word that's translated fathers here, it was oftentimes used of both the male and female parent, and I think that's the context here. Parents, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, all right? All right? Here's one thing, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to start with the negative, don't exasperate your kids, and then we're going to go into, here's how to really do it, all right, here's some important things. All right, if you're a young parent here and you haven't made a lot of mistakes, it's great. If you're newlywed here and you haven't had kids yet, don't. No, I'm just if you, no, I love kids, all right, I have three of them, and really I'd have three more, all right, but if you're a newlywed here and you're thinking about having kids, you know you will have kids, I'm telling you, write these things down, determine in your life right now, you're going to do these things, all right? You're not going to be this kind of parent, and you are going to be what God's definition is of of a successful parent. If you're here this morning and you go, wow, I'm an empty nester, or my kids are, man, they're middle school, high school. Hey, it's never too late, right? That's what we said week one. God's forgiveness is great. It's awesome. We seek forgiveness. We come back into relationship with those we've offended. In this case, maybe our kids. We make things right and we say, hey, we determine it's going to be different from this point forward. All right? So, challenge number one, Paul says, don't provoke your children to anger. In other words, don't exasperate your children. Now, you have to understand contextually, and we're not preaching exegetically this morning, we're not going to totally unpack Ephesians chapter 6. But I want you to understand the culture in that day. The culture in that day, what Paul was saying, moms and dads had to be going, what are you talking about? Most families in Paul's day, in pagan cities like Ephesus, they were in shambles. Mutual love amongst family members was almost unheard of. A father's love for his children would have been hard for for anybody to even imagine, By Roman law, a father, get this, let me read this, had virtual life and death power, not only over his slaves, but over his entire household. He could cast any of them out of the house, sell them as slaves, or even kill them and be accountable to no one. You say, wow, our culture has come a long ways. We have, but hey, we're still not that bad. If the father picked it up, the child was allowed allowed to stay in the home. So the child was placed as a baby right at the child's feet. If the, child, if the father picked up the child, then that meant I accept you. You can stay in my home. Otherwise, if the father walked away, it was simply disposed of, much as aborted babies are in our own day. It's tragic. You have to understand context to understand that what Paul is writing here was just an incredible thing, that these Christians whose lives had been transformed and changed by the gospel. Remember our study in Galatians? We talked about the fact that the gospel changes everything. The gospel sets up a whole new way of living. This is one of the ways in which we see that enacted. What Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 6 is, hey, moms and dads, it doesn't matter what the pagan Roman culture says, that kind of parenting, that kind of way you treat your kids, God's got a new way. This is what you're supposed to do. This is your job as moms and dads if you've been literally transformed and changed by the gospel. And so to provoke means to to stir up anger or it suggests a repeated ongoing pattern of treatment that gradually builds a deep-seated anger and resentment and ultimately it boils over in hostility. And by the way, it's not usually, these kinds of things are not usually meant by the mom or dad to provoke anger. Kids, it's really important that you understand that. A lot of the things maybe that you get irritated about that your parents do or don't do for you, they're not intentionally doing them to make you angry, to exasperate you, to frustrate you. Some of them are not intended in that way. Often, in fact, we do things like that and we say, we're doing this for your good. That is our intent. And so literally, this means don't provoke your children to anger so that they begin to seethe with resentment and irritation and one scholar put it this way, so that they begin to seethe with resentment and irritation like sap swelling in a tree on a hot day, just ready at any moment just to boil over because you've, you've so frustrated them, right? You know where I'm going. Now, such exasperation can be done in a number of ways, and I want you to write these things down, right? These are, these are the ways in which we can exasperate and cause our children to seethe with resentment and irritation. Number one is overprotection. Overprotection. All right, I know some of you young parents, I want to talk to you first. I mean, I'm talking, you got toddlers or younger. I think it's so easy. You are supposed to be a protector, but it is so easy to take that to an extreme and to be too overprotective. And you do that right now, and guess what? You begin to build those habits. Some of us could could attest to this right now. And you'll carry that into middle school. You'll carry that into high school. And your kids will begin to resent and be incredibly agitated and irritated by that because of your overprotection. Some of you, man, if your kid comes in from the outside, your little three or four-year-old, and they have dirty hands. Wash those hands right now. You're afraid that if they stick their hands in their mouth. Let me tell you, a little bit of dirt is good. Dirt's good. All right? Quote me on that. In fact, tweet that. That's good. He said, dirt is good. You know, I always want to be tweeted. So somebody if you're tweeting right there just go, "Dirt is good." All right, a little bit of dirt's not going to kill them. I mean, you want to come to Africa with me? You come to Africa with me. These kids, hey, they're healthy, they're running around, they got good respiratory systems and they're eating dirt and living in dirt and and that's just the way that it is, all right? I use that as a silly illustration to say don't be incredibly overprotective. You do that then and they get to middle school and you think that they can't do anything without you. Let me tell you, after being a youth pastor for 20 years and having literally thousands of middle school and high school kids come through ministry that I was involved in, your kids in middle school, they will at times be fine without you, okay? I know that's breaking your hearts, but they will be fine without you. They really will. Now, now they may go to camp and you may pack six sets of underwear for your middle school son. And he may come home and he's still got six sets, okay? It may happen. Hey, that happens with guys that are 45, Right? Not me, but I'm just saying some guys. Probably Matt, he'll tell a story someday. I mean, I don't know. But guess what? It's not gonna kill them. Just because he had dirty underwear, he'll figure it out. He doesn't need you there going, hey, change your underwear today. Now again, (laughs) thank you for that repetition. Yes, change your underwear today. He's learning something. We can be be overprotective, and, and I don't wanna beat on that too hard, but I just wanna challenge you. Let your kids grow up. And don't overprotect them. Find out what those boundaries are, and those boundaries are there, and have them established, but don't be overprotective. Number two is favoritism. That's when parents compare their children with each other, and especially in their presence, and that can be devastating to kids. You know what I found out about my three kids is they're all different. They're all different. They're all three sinners, because their mom and dad are sinners, but they're all three different. And they have different strengths and weaknesses. And what's so easy to do is to say, well, your brother never did that. Or, or why can't you be like your brother? I remember when he took that class in school, he did just fine. He didn't have any problem with the teacher. Everything was... Favoritism is something that will cause them to be exasperated. I know I've been guilty of that uh, at times. Because we think at the time, don't we, parents? I'm using this to, you know, to the benefit. You know, it's a great example that this one is provided, and that's why we're doing it, right? But instead, we're exasperating them. A few weeks ago, Jordan and Justin and I it was on a Saturday, and I'm missing them. I'm watching football, and I'm all alone. And Diana's making me food and bringing me food, and that's all good. But you know, Kayla, she can't watch more than one down of football, and she's off. And so the boys and I, we start texting, and I start talking about how I went to the football game last night at Panther Creek, you know, what great memories of last year being the ball boy. Jordan said, I wish you'd have been the ball boy, you know, when I was in high school, you know, that would have been really great, I'd have loved to have had you on the field. And then Justin, in his own way, he chimes in to the text and goes, uh, Jordan, there's a reason for that, I'm his favorite son, you know. <laughs> that's the only he can do, right? And, and while that's not true, I love them both exactly the same. That just shows you that favoritism, though, can cause a child to be exasperated. Don't do that. Number three is pushing achievement beyond reasonable bounds. Pushing achievement beyond reasonable bounds. A child can be so quickly pressured to achieve things that it's virtually impossible for them to achieve. And then he quickly learns, or she quickly learns, that nothing she does is good enough for her parents. Don't put unreasonable expectations on your kids above their gifting, all right? Dads, we're really guilty of this, are we not? When it comes to athletics, we're really guilty of us. Some of us, because we were frustrated athletes, we didn't ever become what we probably had the potential to become, but we never did become. We live that out, okay? Voice of experience here, okay? Transparency. We live that out through our boys. And so when they're playing football and they don't catch that pass, you know, and, ah, you know, I'd have caught that. Back in the day, man, I would have laid myself out and I would have caught that pass. And, and, and so he caught four, but he missed one, but he gets in the car and you, you know, hey, good game. But, right, I found myself doing this. But, hey, what about that one? You know, here, here's what you should have done. Make sure that you don't frustrate them in that way by setting unrealistic expectations for them. We do that in sports. We do it in academics and many other areas. The other thing is make sure we don't discourage them. That can exasperate them. A child who's never complimented or encouraged by his parents, I, I believe they're destined for trouble. if If they're always told what is wrong with them and never what is right. and And for me, you know i'm I'm a type A. I, I don't know if any of you ever figured that out, but I'm really driven and, and I really want things to be right and And so when they're not, I have a tendency to be able to look at the things that aren't so we can fix those and make them the very best that they can be. And sometimes that can be discouraging. I've been guilty of it as a father so many times. You know, 10 things done well. One thing not done well, and I focus on the one thing that wasn't done well, we need to encourage them. Discouraging them constantly as they make mistakes, as they make their way through life is a sure way to exasperate them. Here's another way to exasperate your kids. It's by failing to sacrifice as a parent. You know, some people make their kids feel as if they were an intrusion to their life. Newsflash, parents, you made the decision whether or not to have them or not to have them, all right? If you had them, they're not an intrusion into your life. They are a blessing from God. They are a treasure from God. If you ever found yourself going, well, you know, before we had kids, we were able to do this or do that. Anybody ever said that? Good. Nobody but I. I I've said that before. All right? You're going to look at me and go, what a horrible parent. He is great to tell us what not to do. All right? I've done it. You've inconvenienced my life and someday, you know, we're not going to, I told Diana not too long ago, we were talking about our schedules just a few years ago, we were talking about our schedules with sports and man, we were going to lacrosse games. I felt like I could jump on the field and I could be an expert player. I was watching so much lacrosse and, you know, going to JV games, varsity games, two nights a week, two games each night. And at one point I did, I said to Diana, you know what? There's going to come a week, not too long from now. When we're going to beg to have something to do on a Tuesday or a Thursday night. Right, Ronnie Lau? I see you shaking your head. You know, you know where I'm going. We've talked about this. You're going to be begging to do that stuff. So suck it up and enjoy every single moment of that. You're not, you know, you, you need to sacrifice for your kids. That's, that's, you know, that's, part of, that's part of what we signed up for. The next thing which, which we can exasperate our kids is by failure to let children grow up at a normal pace. I've been guilty of this too. Again, it's my type A. This is the way it ought to be. Here's the standard. And I don't let them be kids, right? Let me just encourage you, Northwest parents, all right? Let your kids be kids. And the rest of us are okay with it, aren't we? Okay, three of us are okay with it. The rest of you, you'll come along as we move along on this journey we call life, all right? We, we, we want it to be a safe place for kids to be kids. And you have to let your kids grow up at a normal pace. You ever find yourself going, quit acting like a child. And he's five. <laughs> you feel like if he was smart enough, he would go, I am one, Right? You know, you talk about the way that teenagers' minds develop or don't develop. <laughs> really, scientifically, it's true. And we expect them to do certain things, and, and it's not all wired yet. They, they can't do it. They cannot behave that way. We've got to be patient with them and let them grow up at a normal pace. If you don't, you will exasperate them. You will frustrate them. Real quickly, don't ever use love as a tool of reward or punishment. Don't ever let your kids think that you love them more when they do right and you don't love them as much when they do wrong. Aren't you glad Aren't you glad that God doesn't love us less when we do wrong? Aren't you glad our Heavenly Father doesn't treat us that way? Don't ever let them feel that way, but let them feel like your love is unconditional. I know some of you right now are struggling with kids who are in rebellion and they're doing things or living lives that you don't want them to live. And I know that that breaks your heart. But I'm telling you, that's when they need you to love them the most. Some of you, you, you're living it right now. Some of you have lived it. You're on the other side of it. That's when they need need you to love them the most. Those of you, by the way, that are parents of middle school and high school kids, and they're going through a difficult time, they need you to love them as deeply and as dearly as you have ever loved them in their life right now. And don't let it be conditioned on their behavior. Also, lastly, the way we exasperate our kids is by physical and verbal abuse. Now, most of us would say, well, I've never abused my kids physically, and I think that's probably true, although I've seen some dads especially, but moms, you can be guilty of this too, to get a little overly physical with your kids. That's not a good thing to do. That can exasperate them. I, I got to the point in my own uh, discipline with my boys where I tried never to discipline in anger, which is very frustrating, because when I'm angry is when I really want to discipline, Right? After I think about it for a while, it 's not that really big a deal, and then I don't want to discipline them, but they really need to be disciplined, so it 's a quandary, right? But don't ever discipline in anger, okay we're not going to talk this morning about spanking or not spanking. I think the NFL's done a good job with that this week or a bad job, however your case may be. all right but just don't ever don't ever don't ever spank don't ever don't ever discipline. I would say don't even ever talk with your kids when you're really, really angry because. Maybe you're like me and you have a tendency to say some things when you're angry that you don't really mean. But once those words come out of your mouth, what happens? You can't just grab them and put them back in, right? They're said. Damage has been done. Be careful, by the way, with the verbal abuse. Sometimes we're really quick to to really call to action the the physical abuse, and we would never do that. Yet some of us are verbally abusive if we're not careful. And I'd ask you to be careful with that because putting them down with superior arguments Can you imagine my boys having an argument with me? It's not possible. They will not win. And I've been guilty, and I say this shamefully I've been guilty at times of being just a superior arguer, having a better knowledge of Scripture and life in general, and I use it to my advantage. That exasperates my sons. That's wrong. Don't behave that way. All right, so that's what not to do. You don't want to exasperate your kids, all right? That's how you can do it, and don't do that, all right? So I want to finish up here, and I got to race through real quickly. But the second part of Ephesians chapter six, verse four, it transitions with, "Don't exasperate your kids, but instead bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord." The, the idea there, in that in that uh, in that phrase there, "bring them up," is that we would nurture them. The inference is that we gently nourish and we teach them along the way. Not just when they're infants or little kids or even middle school and high school kids, but really what we signed up for. Remember when I said that when I had kids, it it changed. I'm going to be a dad now till the day I die. I have responsibility. I'm supposed to nurture them, to train them. I've I've got a 22-year-old son, and I believe I'm doing more nurturing and training right now with my 22-year-old than I did when he was 12. That's not a bad thing, by the way. It's not because he's immature. Guess what? It's because his ears are open. I am a smart guy all of a sudden. And it's great and it's awesome. And that's not going to end. I hope when I'm, if the Lord gives me long life when I'm, when when I'm, when he's 32 and he's 42, I hope we're still having those conversations. Men, let me say this to you. All right, I'm going to run out of time. I know that, Bill. Okay. I I get that. So I'm going to go as quickly as I can. Men, make sure. As you're nurturing, as you're training, as you're, as you're doing all these things with your kids, make sure that you do it gently and affectionately. I say men, women obviously, inference, you're supposed to do that too, but sometimes it's easier for you than with men. I grew up in a home where my dad very rarely physically touched me with affection. Rarely. I don't remember, in fact, him ever just walking up to me in the hallway and just grabbing me. And I wish he would have. I really wish he would have. I didn't know that at the time or I'd have asked him to. I didn't know that, right? We don't know that stuff. Then we get a little bit older and we go, why didn't you do that? And I remember saying as a young father, my kids will, my my boys especially, uh, Kayla goes without saying, but my boys especially, they will never go, I wanted that and, and, and he never did that. Guys, I wanna encourage you to be effect, physically affectionate with your sons. I know some of you around here say, why is, why is guys always hugging? We're a hugging place, all right? We man hug. That's what we do, all right? If you're uncomfortable with that, put a little whizzy button on your shirt that says no hug. All right, we'll be careful with you, all right? But otherwise, we're gonna hug. Because <clears throat> I just assume that probably some of you grew up in homes like mine. You didn't get that affection. You're a little bit uncomfortable with it. I'm telling you, my, my, my friend Jerry... Probably when he started working with me back in 2000, he had, and I've told him this before, he had one of the, the impact, he talks about the things he learned from me as an older youth pastor, but I'm telling you, one of the things I grasped hold of him, Jerry, right away was affectionate. He was affectionate with me, which was a little uncomfortable to begin with, but he was hugging me all the time, and I found myself over a period of time going, I like this. That's probably when I started to realize, wow, I missed that. Men do that with your, with your, with your daughters, and especially with your sons. My boys, they they know what it means. Sometimes they're hugging and I go, no, no, I want a man hug. And they know what that means. Squeeze me. Squeeze me hard. Love me. I let Justin go to college and I got out and I was sobbing like a baby and I grabbed him and held on to him. And I'm sure I embarrassed him. I'm sure going through his mind, he's going, I've got to live with these guys for the next four years. And you are blubbering all over my shoulder. And I thought, you know what? My dad didn't do that with me. I love you, and I'm not just going to tell you. I am going to show you. And I grabbed him and hugged him like crazy. And and my boys know it's not an option. We hug. We hug. Now, maybe they'll come back someday and say, we didn't like that. But they'll never say. (laughs) They'll never say that they didn't get it, right? All right, so just I don't want to overemphasize that, but I, I think so many times we get words right, and yet, just simple things like being affectionate, physically affectionate, as men, we just think somehow that's weak. Let me tell you, real men hug and real men cry. Right? That's what we do. All right? And if you're a man that goes on and ever want my kids to see me cry, shame on you. You need to pray that God will break your heart and you'll cry about something. And probably it's because you, somewhere back in your past, in your relationships, you, you weren't nurtured the way that you should have been nurtured do what I did then. At least let's say, all right, well, that's generations past. This generation forward, we're going to be men. And that's what men do. All right. All right. Number two, we nurture them and we discipline them. I got to go really quickly. We discipline them. Discipline refers to systematic training of children. It's training of children. It's not necessarily just, you know, come over here, you know, bend over. It's not just that. All right. It's the systematic training of our kids. And by the way, kids that are always incessantly told that they can do whatever they wish and can have their own way because we don't want to break their spirit, there's a word for that. Okay, I probably don't want to use it in church here this morning, but it doesn't work. All right, Kids that are parented that way ultimately believe they have no responsibility to authority, not only inside their home, but outside their home either that they are somehow entitled, and they play by a different set of rules. That's not the way real life works. You need to discipline your kids. And, and, And disciplining our kids, we can certainly step over that line in extreme cases, but also we can raise a generation, if we're not careful, of undisciplined kids and kids who do not understand that there are consequences for their actions. We have a responsibility to discipline them. In Proverbs, all the way through Proverbs, the wise father is telling his son, that's the way, really, that a loving father shows his love for his son is the loving discipline that he gives him. Number three, live what you say you believe. Live what you say you believe. Some people say, do as I say, not what I do. That does not work. Some of you wonder why your kids want nothing to do with Jesus. Again, let me just say this to dads real quick. You wonder why your kids really aren't that passionate about the things of God? Could it be because you're not? You tell them, you you may read out of a devotional book like I recommended to you last week. You read out of a devotional book and you share these things with them and yet they watch the way that you live your life and it's inconsistent with what they hear you read. Let me tell you, they're not gonna do what they hear you read. They're gonna do what they see you do. Okay? That's just the way that it is. Some of you out there, you're not theologians. You don't know the deep things of the faith. You really want to. You study, but you just don't. But I'll tell you one thing that you got that we can all do. We can live what we learn. And you live what you learn, moms and dads, your kids will get it. The Bible says, train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they are what? When they are old, they will not depart from it. We don't oftentimes see it early on. But when they're old, they don't depart from it. Live what you say you believe. That's the whole Deuteronomy 6 principle, by the way. We don't have time to go there this morning. I know some of you are familiar with that passage that we're supposed to be talking about these things all the time. We're supposed to be living this stuff constantly and consistently. I want to challenge you to do that. Don't just say it. Live it. They won't do what they hear you say necessarily, but they will do what they see you live and do. Number four, dads love their mom, and moms love their dad. I believe that a key to a kid's healthy development is confidence in their parents' marriage. Let them see how much you love one another. You say, well, sometimes I don't really love her that much, or sometimes I don't really feel the same towards her as I felt the day before. Hey, welcome to real life, right? I mean, I know there's a few of you that go, oh, every day just gets better and better and better. We're going to talk about that next week, right? right? You guys can come up here and give a testimony. But for most of us, all right? and I know, I, hey, I know there's some of you that are like that. I've had people in the Northwest tell me, we don't ever struggle. And I'm going, good, come up and preach then because I'm a loser. I'll sit down. right? <laughs> Most of us do. We just do because it's tough. But I can tell you this. As much as, with, is, as is within me, and I know I have the Spirit of God living within me, so I have the ability to be able to do this, I will stay with that woman till death do us part. I hope she can say the same thing. It's easy to stay with her. I mean, it's not so easy on the flip side. I'm going to do that, and I want my kids to know we're here. We made a decision, and we are here for the long haul, and I love your mom. Every once in a while, you know, I'm hugging her, kissing her, or, or, you know, in the kitchen. Well, whatever. And, And my boys will go, Dad, Dad. And I'm going, hey, she's my wife. I have a license. Got it upstairs. All right? And Kayla will go, Dad, Dad, don't do that. And I go, hey, I love her. All right, your kids know, by the way, that you have been affectionate at one point or another. Okay? (laughs) Tweet that, too. That's good. (laughs) I had a good follow-up on the dirt comment. Just tweet. (laughs) All right, they know that. Show them. Don't just say, well, of course I love your mom. I told her the day that I married her, and if it changes, I'll let you know. But until then, of course I... Show them. Don't ever let your kids, young couples, good advice for you, Just let your kids know that they are secure and they are safe because they see the way that you love one another, which gives them confidence that you will also love them and that you'll stick with them through the long haul. Does that make sense to you? Dads, just love your kid's mom. And moms, just love your kid's dad. That works. Lastly, and this is is really biblically inspired, enjoy your kids. Make memories. This is gonna go by so quickly. I had people tell me that when I was a young parent, and I went, if you live my life right now. I was over at Adam's house. (laughs) You know, our director of student ministries and his wife, Jade, just had a baby this week. And I said, how's it going? He goes, it's really hard. (laughs) And I'm going, 936 more till she goes to college. But it goes by, as Jerry said last week, it goes by so quickly. Enjoy them. Make memories with them. Do you enjoy your kids? My friends, Ronnie and Sue, Lau down here, they've been an example to me in this way over the years of a couple that thoroughly, has thoroughly, thoroughly enjoys their kids. And now their spouses and their grandkids. They didn't always do extravagant things, just stupid things. Which I can't even tell you about it in the service, what they do, all right? I shouldn't say Ronnie. Ronnie's, it's Sue mainly, but they've had fun in their home and they laugh and it's a fun place to be. You don't have to spend a lot of money. Just love your kids and laugh with them often and make memories. That's why I told my buddy Matt last week, man, you know, once he got over the, oh, what did people think? I'm like, man, remember that because you're going to be preaching at those boys' weddings. And I told him first service, I'm going to be there. I'm going to remind them of the cannonballs in the baptistry. And we're going to laugh about these things. Make memories with your kids. Laugh often. It's really biblical, right? Laughter is what? It's good for the soul. It's good for the soul. It's good to laugh. Enjoy them and make memories. Well, let me conclude with this. One well-known pastor and Bible teacher said this as he was thinking back over his years as a father. He wrote this. My family's all grown up and the kids are all gone. But if I had to do it all over again, this is what I would do. I'd love my wife more in front of my children. I'd laugh with my children more at our mistakes and our joys. I'd listen more even to the littlest child. I'd be more honest about my own weaknesses, never pretending perfection. I'd pray differently for my family. Instead of focusing on them, I'd focus on me. I'd do more things together with my children. I'd encourage them more and bestow bestow more praise. I'd pay more attention to little things like deeds and words of thoughtfulness. And then finally, if I had it to do all over again, I'd share God more intimately with my family. Every ordinary thing that happened in every ordinary day, I would use to direct them to God. I believe that I'm still a few years away from seeing the results of biblical parenting. And when I say that, by the way, you've heard me all the way through this, admit my failures, right? But I've tried to do things God's way, and yet I think I'm still several years away from seeing if it really, if it really worked, if it really took hold. I did get a text from my 19-year-old son this week that makes me think that maybe he gets it. And You know, as parents, that sometimes you just need something. You're just going, give me something. Give me something, <laughs> Just let me know that you got it. You know, just a little, just a little bitty, just something, right? And I got that uh, this week. And, and I want to read this to you. And again, this comes from all kinds of failures, all right? I get that. I'm a human being. I'm not a perfect parent. That's why I'm so qualified to speak on this subject this morning. But it just caused me to go, well, maybe, maybe we've done something right. He wrote this. Hey, Dad, just wanted to let you know that I miss you a lot. I guess it takes distance and time away for me to really appreciate how much you've done. And continue to do for me. I keep finding myself talking about you to people. And even the other day, someone said, I have to meet this man. He sounds amazing. Now, if you knew my 19-year-old son, this is like incredible for him to write this. The 22-year-old would write this and then he'd go, hey, by the way, I need $500. Could you? (laughs) Okay. Justin doesn't do that. He finished by saying this. It sounds cliche, but I mean it 100% when I say I don't think I'd be where I am today without your guidance through these past years. You've always had my best interest in mind, even in conflicts with what is easy, even when it conflicts with what is easy for you. So thanks so much for everything you're doing for me. I'm telling you, you don't have to get me any Christmas present, no birthday present, no nothing. That's my love language right there. Just to know that maybe you did something right, right? I want to close by just, by just saying this. You and I, moms and dads, we're never going to be perfect parents. And, and kids, I, I want to remind you that you're not going to be perfect either. That's why we did what we did last week. But I've said to my son several times over the years, I, I know that I've, I've made and I will make mistakes along the journey. But when I come to the end of my life and when I'm an, an old man and there's not a lot that I can do but I still have my thoughts and my memories... I just simply want to be able to say and to know that I pointed my kids to Jesus. I'm telling you, that is successful parenting. All that other Pinterest and Facebook stuff, we can't do it, right? So why try? Right? We can't afford it. We can't possibly be that. And the great thing is, we don't have to be. We can do things God's way, and I believe in the end we will reap incredible rewards. There will be blessing that will come as moms and dads when we do things God's way. And I want to encourage you to parent like that. All right, Not perfect parenting, just biblical parenting, not based on Pinterest or Facebook. Let's pray. God, thanks for the time this morning. I pray for those parents that are here. There's some of them, they're so young. I think of Adam and Jade and others like them that are having these little babies and they're just getting started and they think, wow, we got a long way to go. Help them, God, to to really take and embrace these principles this morning. God, I think about some that are kind of in that middle road. They're kind of in the throes of it right now. Life's busy, life's tough, life's hard. They're they're wondering if they're doing it right. God, I pray that you just encourage, encourage them not to buy into our culture's view of successful parenting, but to just simply parent God's way. And God, for some of the others, that, that they got an empty nest. And some of them are excited because uh, they see that their kids are doing well and they've pointed them to Jesus. Others, God, that realize mistakes that they've made along the way, I pray that they would cause them to remember message number one in this series, that forgiveness is there and i pray that they'd be the best parents to adult children they could possibly be that they'd be the best grandparents that they could possibly be using these simple biblical principles that are found in your word god we love you i thank you that you are patient with us that you love us unconditionally as imperfect parents as imperfect kids as imp- imperfect siblings and all of those things that you love us in spite of ourselves. You loved us so much that you demonstrated that by dying on the cross, providing salvation for us, providing for us to uh, be able to enjoy a relationship that we were created to have. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen.